Don't forget to join us for our first ever live question of the day. It'll be Thursday, January 14th in Brooklyn at the Bell House. The website is thebellhouseny.com. Thursday, January 14th, 7 p.m. with special guest Nagin Farsad. And James and I will be trying, I think for the first time ever, James, you've never tried before have you comedy ever never other than like just general making a fool of myself on the sidewalk but you've never actually stood up and tried to make people laugh never. for the express purpose of making them laugh other than you when i'm playing you backgammon just to distract you i just see a lot of tears when we play backgammon but on this night i'm lying there were probably will be some tears too because james and i are both going to try a little bit a tiny bit of stand-up comedy for the first time plus which we will do a live question of the day with your questions, so tweet them to us beforehand at QOD and use the hashtag QOD Live. James, it's the holidays, which means, you know what that means, a lot of... Food. Yes. Gifts. Yes. And along with the food, a lot of... Some good loving. Yes. And along with the food and good loving, a lot of... Well, this is usually between the food and the good loving. Uh, a lot family. Of, a lot of drinking. Drinking. A lot of drinking at the holidays because, right, there's eggnog and there's champagne and a lot of people who don't drink a lot will drink some during the holidays and a lot of people who drink some during the holidays will drink a lot during the holidays. And as usual, I want to hear your question, but do you... (laughs) But first, a dissertation. But do you believe... Maybe this is a whole scam right now because I just read an article yesterday in your former employer's uh, newspaper about uh, how champagne can um, reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Maybe this is all a scam to just up champagne drinking during the holidays as opposed to other forms of alcohol. How do you spell champagne with a small C or a capital C? I'm going to say capital C because it's a region. It's from, right, it's from yeah. the champagne. Gra- so if you, so Why are you trying to make me look stupid? I'm trying to make you look smart, and you just did it. I <laughs> led right. you right I, into the smart. That was an easy you. one. <laughs> if I wanted to make you look stupid, I'd ask you a hard question. No, but champagne did beautifully by marketing itself with the capital C because it's got to be champagne. So if you make sparkling wine from grapes that are a lot like that but are not like that, you can't be champagne, of course. I think we need to all be a little bit more like that. Like, rather than just like having a, conversation we could have like an altitude what do you mean uh, you know like if if like we just could interrupt somehow, each other constantly no we just need to brand ourselves a little bit better like we talk about like oh, question let's say question okay. of the day is the name of our podcast okay. right okay. we ask questions but question we're not getting anything from that well go to your urban dictionary urban dictionary online right and look up altitude i'm there as altitude fashion urban dictionary just altitude Altitude fashion, an energetic, excitable, curious, witty, and quirky genius who may have crazy hair, glasses, and a chess game, waiter pad, and a $2 bill tucked away underneath a white lab coat. That is awesome. That is you. I was so proud of this. I showed my daughters, and they said, Daddy, you already showed us this a year ago. <laughs> so, so they um, should yeah. add to that, and who has a bad memory, yeah. in addition to all that. So <laughs> Altitude's taken, so I guess we're going to have to use Dubner. So here's the point. I think Dubner we should, fashion. I, no, it's not. I don't want fashion. I want question. Like, we ask questions. Question is one of those words that gets said a lot. If we could somehow swap in the word Dubner for question and brand ourselves like that, like Champagne did, I think we'd be a lot better off. Yeah, there you go. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to dubnerize that. <laughs> we're gonna have to. Du- okay. So, but I did have a question for you, having to do with the drinking that gets done between the eating and the sex. Okay. 
which is this. And the bathroom. Let me, uh, let me draw just a fictional scenario, but a very common one. Let's say that you and I live a mile from each other, and I'm having a holiday party. And you come to my party, you drive, let's say, and you weren't planning on drinking a lot, but I had some fantastic eggnog or some bottle of something that you particularly liked, and you drank a little bit more than you planned on drinking. And now you want to go home, but you're thinking, well, I'm impaired. What's the best way to get home? What's the smartest way to get home if you're concerned primarily about your own safety? It's only a mile. Do you walk, for instance? Uh, I would definitely walk. It's a 20-minute walk. Not, you know, you know, I do. I have seen incredible violence done by drunk driving. I, I, I would not recommend driving drunk, but of course that's obvious. But All right, let me say this as your dear friend. I do should not, drive drunk? Do not walk home drunk. Can I tell you why? Tell me. I would rather me die, by the way, than me killing somebody. I would so, rather you die than you kill somebody. Right. Too. Same for I agree. Because so when I you walk drunk, you can't kill somebody else. Right. So that's the only thing I care about. So if you're telling me more people die that's while not what I'm asking. Walking, I'm asking okay. if you're worried about your own personal welfare and getting home alive, you should not walk drunk. So we actually did this analysis. And it, it, it's a little bit of a speculative analysis because the data don't all exist. Like you want to know... You'd want to be able to have perfect parallels between drunk walking and drunk driving, but there aren't as many data on drunk walking as you'd like there to be. In fact, there are very few data on drunk walking, so you have to do some extrapolation and some guesswork. But having done that, and when I say we, I mean my, my co-author on Freakonomics, Steve Levitt, came to the conclusion that on a per-mile basis, which is not ideal because most people drive much more than one mile, on a per-mile basis, you are eight times more likely to die walking home drunk than driving drunk. That's how dangerous it can be to walk home drunk. Right. So, A, I really have to understand that study more. Um, like the per mile thing, you make a good point. You're driving in general much more than you walk in terms of miles. But I don't care about that statistic. I'm fine dying while while drunk walking. What's the ratio of people who who, who die from a drunk driver versus die from a drunk walker? Okay, it's probably so- a th- billion <clears throat> times more uh, Okay, so here's what we have to say. Even if you factor out the death of innocent people, right? So when there's a drunk driving crash, we don't call them accidents because they're preventable, right? right. Pre- presumably an accident is less preventable. But when there's a drunk driving crash, you've got uh, the driver, the drunk driver, potential passengers in that vehicle, and then other drivers and potential passengers in other vehicles. If When you look at the universe of drunk driving crashes that produce a fatality, even after you factor out the death of all the innocent people, all the non-drunk drivers, it's still about five times, you're still about five times more likely to die. It's five times more dangerous to walk drunk just for yourself. So in other words, yes, you're absolutely right. Whenever you think about drunk driving, you have to think, the the innocent people who might get hurt or killed from that. But even after you remove them all, just on your personal safety level, it's still five times more dangerous. And look, here, I'll give you one simple statistic. I realize it's a weird number to try to get your head around, but look at this. There are roughly, I think, between thirty and 35,000 people killed in the United States in traffic crashes, which is in some ways a very low number considering the trillions of miles we drive in some ways it's a very high number considering right. that if 30,000 people died from you know making podcasts podcasts would have been outlawed a long time ago so here's the thing about 35% of pedestrians who are killed in the US are drunk and that number compares to 41% of drivers who are killed in traffic accidents are drunk so it's not that much less so if you want to eliminate some a real danger, very simply, we've taught people that drunk driving is really bad. 
And honestly, I'm pretty disappointed with how well we've done on it. I think we've we've helped, we've addressed the problem, but not solved it. There's still a lot of drunk driving, still a lot of death and injury and heartbreak as a result of it. But these are the types of problems that get better over time. So, for instance, a car is basically now a computer with a car application in it. And many cars now are starting to get software updates, even on a daily basis. Tesla will update the software on a daily basis to your car. So what if there's an automatic breathalyzer to start your car? Well, look, there's been all these attempts over a million years to try to, to, try to prevent uh, impaired people of different sorts, plus which now you're going to talk about different kinds of impairment. Um, but, but it gets better, right? Like right Now airbags are in every car. 15 years ago, it totally gets better. But here's the scary part. To me, here's the scary part. If you look at the improvement on a, so the key metric to look at with vehicle safety is vehicle mile, death per vehicle mile traveled or injury per vehicle mile traveled. And indeed, that number has gone way down. I think it's halved since the 1970s, which is a massive improvement. But the vast majority of that improvement is due to basically technology. Cars got better, roads got better. What isn't getting better is human driver skill, which is why you and I are both in favor of driverless vehicles. But here's the point. You're still giving people the option to operate this really heavy vehicle that can be fatal to themselves and to other people. And if you drink, so here's the thing. Your odds of being involved in a fatal crash increase 13-fold when you've been drinking. That's uh, the magnitude of how much worse it is to drive drunk. I and as it. bad as that is, walking drunk is way, 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 way worse than walking sober. So, so how do people die w- walking drunk? They walk in front of a car or they fall, fall off a mountain or something? All of the above. So, you know, sometimes they walk they in front themselves. of a car. They try to cross... They try to run across the street thinking that they're going to make it and instead run into traffic. They lie down to take a nap for a little while in the middle of a road. They walk into the path of a car in a number of ways. So, look, all I'm saying is as much as we talk about how driving drunk is plainly a danger that should we should really try to get to zero, the better option is not walking drunk. And this, I think, is especially relevant around the holidays when, A, a lot of people are out drinking at parties B, a lot of people are out drinking in parties in places that they're not used to being. And C, we are becoming increasingly urbanized as a species, which is in my, I I happen to like it. But if you think that, oh, because I'm not driving, if I just walk out of this bar, this restaurant, and this friend's house, and now I'm in a city, and I'm going to walk home that 20 blocks, I'm golden. You're not golden. That's my message. Friends don't let friends walk drunk. I I agree with that. So, like, you shouldn't let your friend, maybe, and according to your stats, you shouldn't let your friend walk drunk, but you shouldn't also put him in a car and say, here's the keys, knock yourself out. Absolutely not. So, really, the answer to everything in this you just conversation gotta, you, is Uber. Well, well, yeah, so you have to arrange for your somehow for your impaired friend to get home. Steven and I have this one under control, but I'm going to grab our QOD Magic 8-Ball just in case. We'll be right back. Thanks to Prudential for sponsoring today's episode. You ever wonder how picking out your clothes in the morning affects how much you save for retirement? You may not realize it, but from the moment we wake up, our brains are making hundreds of little decisions, and all these decisions add up. Get up or hit the snooze button. Gray shirt or pink shirt. Coffee or tea. With every decision we make, our brains become a little bit more worn out. We're more likely to give in to impulses, and that's when we procrastinate. So next time you're about to put something off, work, the gym, saving for retirement maybe, remember, you're not lazy. Our brains are hardwired to procrastinate, and the sooner you reset your wiring and start saving more for retirement, 
the better off you'll be down the line. Visit bringyourchallenges.com to learn more about procrastination and other behaviors that get in the way of saving more for retirement. Prudential, bring your challenges. Now, before I put it off any longer, let's get back to the show. I'll tell you something interesting, and I wonder if you've ever studied this. I know for a fact, and I've never done it, but uh, I've never tested it like how you test things, but uh, driving while talking on the phone is also probably almost as bad. So, you know, the data on that are uh, I'll just tricky. tell you my, my anecdote. Yeah. So I play chess almost every time I'm on the phone. While so you're driving? No, no. While so if Let's say you call me on the phone and, and I talk. It's almost a 99% guarantee really? that, that I fire up the chess board and start playing chess. Now, and, is that because it's just too boring to you to have a conversation and nothing else? It's just my addiction for like 20 years. But you know, it's weird. We, we're we having this conversation, which is basically just like a glorified phone it, call. Just, we happen to be in the same room in a radio studio. It, it's just something I do. Why aren't you playing chess now? I, it's just something I do only when I'm on the phone. Does the caliber of your conversation decline? The caliber of my game. So you can. So chess rankings are done statistically. There's a bell curve and there's standard deviations. So I can tell you exactly the number of standard deviations um, between my play when I'm not on the phone and when my and my play when I am on the phone. And it's about three standard deviations. Holy difference. crap! That's like. So that's that's what, like going from good to terrible. Yeah, it's, it is like basically. So you're saying that if I want to beat you at chess, I need to just call you. Yeah, have have like Ellen and call say, me hey. and uh, like just have a conversation <laughs> while you're playing. And then, so talking on the phone impairs anything else you might be doing simultaneously because we're not really meant to multitask in that way. And uh, so I bet you driving statistics for that would be interesting. So we've looked at it, and there aren't great data yet because these are hard data to gather, although there are a lot of researchers out there who are coming up with better data sources and are getting cleverer about measuring it. But one thing we do know is that forget about the part of, like what you're talking about is your brain, you know, has only so much bandwidth. And if it's consumed with the conversation and driving, then they're either one or both will suffer. Yeah, a con- conversation or anything. Like, let's say you're having a conversation while right. cooking. You're probably more likely to not do a good job or burn yourself or whatever. But conversation aside, the one piece of, uh, there is a, a thread of research that I have seen that is very convincing. And I can't remember where these data come from. I wish I had it at my fingertips. But it was very convincing. So talking aside, when you have a device and you're trying to pay attention to the device, theoretically, that's worse because you still really need your vision for driving, right? So theoretically, I could be the kind of person who if I'm driving and talking, at least I have my vision, which we would argue is the central faculty that you need to drive well. The minute you start to get distracted visually, however, by a device, whether it's a mobile phone or whether it's something on the dashboard or whether you turn around to beat your kids up, then I think the risk of distraction is greater. This is why I don't like scientific studies that much. And I know you're also really critical of most scientific studies. But so what you're basically saying, if you don't look out at the road, you're more likely to get into an accident. (laughs) You're Uh, saying that's a little Captain Obvious? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 and here's the science thing. I just told you an anecdote where I've played, you know, maybe a hundred thousand games of chess while talking on the phone and not talking on the phone. I'm giving you, at least for me, but like I'm probably representative of the general population in some sense. So, how is that like not a, a study enough? 
to say, okay, yeah, probably talking on the phone is, is I, I so, may not be exactly like James, but probably talking on the phone is bad for driving. So I agree that the, the anecdote that you just told is potentially a great seed of a study, but I would need to do a bunch of things. I need to A, get a hundred people or a thousand people, not just one James. B, I'd need to randomize them, right? Because it may be that James is very different from the others. But C, here's the other thing I'd really want to look at is when you say that your chess game gets demonstrably, measurably worse when you're on the phone, and you you argue that you have the data to prove that. And I believe that that may be true. That sounds sensible. Here's the thing that I really want to know. What does the caliber, what, what happens to the caliber, the quality of your phone conversation? Because it may be that when you're playing chess on the phone, your brain, your whole psyche does a thing, and maybe we get the unplugged, thoughtful, real James in that phone call because you're doing, you're occupying a part of your brain that might otherwise be putting up barriers to a legitimate or or, or a, a real candid conversation. Well, uh, oh, you can measure that by, uh, if you're looking at me, the amount of times I say, can you repeat that again, occur much more when I'm playing chess as opposed to when I'm not playing chess. Or it occurs much more when I'm about to lose a chess than when I'm not about to lose a chess. If I'm winning, by the way, I can have a normal conversation. If I'm losing, I can't have a normal conversation. Hey, James, sorry. I was uh, I was looking at my uh, email. Can you repeat what you just said, please? <laughs> Did that work as an end? To tell you the truth, I was... You were checking your email. <laughs> <laughs> We've received word that there are still questions at large. Find out which one we're taking down next time right after this. Thanks again to Prudential for sponsoring today's episode and for helping us understand how our brains are hardwired to procrastinate. Not all procrastination is created equal, though. Do you know that there are different types of procrastinators? You got your worriers, your big dreamers, buzzer beaters, people pleasers, not to mention the distracted and the unmotivated. What's your procrastination identity? Visit bringyourchallenges.com to take the procrastination personality test and find out. Prudential, bring your challenges. Here's what we have lined up for the next episode of Question of the Day. Dear us, so-and-so and I are having our annual holiday shindig, hoping you can save the date and be here. Now, here's the problem. I really like these people. I'd love to go to their holiday shindig, but I've never been invited before, and now I hear that it's an annual thing. So now I'm thinking they're finally inviting us because, like, maybe their good friends died. (laughs) 